0: Um, and last week we dove off into some territory who were with us here last week, those of you could attest to this, that um, can be muddy waters and, and delicate things sometimes in the church world, talking about um, gossip to be specific, but in general just uh, the relational nature of the church um, and how gossip specifically can interrupt that. And I told you last week, I made a promise to you last week that it wasn't going to be quite so heavy this week. I'm going to keep that promise, but before I do, we're going to dabble our toes back in our conversation last week just a little bit, just a one, catch up for those who weren't here, but also because I had several conversations after we got done last week um, that prompted me to think we should talk about this more, um, and in a good way. It was good. So what we did last week is kind of scratch the surface of um, kind of what gossip is um, in general and then what what the Bible has to say about it with the intentions of getting a biblical perspective on gossip, not necessarily what we think uh, the culture thinks of gossip. So I want to start off with a couple statements that I've heard before. Maybe you've heard them or said them. Um, things like, it's not gossip if it's true. You guys ever heard that? She didn't say that it's a secret, so it's not gossip. Or, I'm only telling you this so you can pray for her and give me some counsel on how I can minister to her. That's not gossip, right? Have you ever heard these things said before? Maybe you've heard somebody defend them, uh, defend their statements this way. I'm sure you have heard them. I've heard them come out of my own mouth once or twice or something like that. And I'm honestly deeply ashamed of that because as we discovered last week, Um, Scripture has something to say about gossip, and most of what we saw last week was not good. Um, So we talked about last week um, gossip being listed among some of the very serious and very serious offenses in Scripture, like murder and haters of God, making it pretty clear that there's there's nothing trivial about gossip um, in the eyes of God. So by now we already know uh, that gossip is not something that pleases the Lord. Um, but what I want to do tonight um, is talk about the question for just a minute. Uh, what, what is gossip exactly? And we have briefly addressed it last week with kind of a Google's definition of it and how that might be a little bit off and looked at some passages about it. But I want to kind of get a full picture tonight because what we want to land here is not just what about what is gossip and what is it about, but we want to turn away from it. And so I think to rightly do that, to, to put it off, and to put something else on, to do that well, we have to know what it is we're trying to put off. Uh, try to know what it is that we're trying to turn away from. And so, where do we go when we we have questions like this? As Jesus followers, uh, we we go to the Bible, of course. and God's word provides the answers. According to Scripture, uh, there's some things that it tells us what we what happens when we gossip or when our times that we gossip. In Proverbs 11:13. It says, uh, when we tell a secret, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Um, if you're Bible flippers, sword drillers, um, you might want to just buckle up. We're going to go this this part really fast. So you can just listen to me read the scriptures if you want to. But if you're really good at this, you can flip through. Um, Proverbs 16:28. 28. Um, it says, when we talk too much to others and cause division, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 26:20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. We use use words to add fuel to a fight. In 1 Timothy 5.13, when we discuss topics that we shouldn't, besides they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, uh, it says in 1 Timothy. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. We also talked last week how gossip can wreak havoc um, in our own lives and in, in the lives of our church. And so it's because our tongue is is so powerful. It's much more powerful than we realize. And scripture tells us about that. It talks about this in James 3. It says, uh, starting there in verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. We talked about an example like that last week. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord our and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And he's saying like a small bit in a horse's mouth or the small rudder of a big ship, our mouths carry great power in our lives and those around us. And it's made to do that. God has designed us that way. I love his illustration of the forest fire. And we talked about another illustration like that this week or last week. Uh, And we've seen this happen, right? I know I have. Picture you and your friends as the forest, and a little gossip spark gets flung out there in the middle of the forest, and someone fans a a little bit, and it sparks up into a flame. And the flame consumes its first victim and quickly spreads. Trees are on fire now, and the gossip wind really gets up, picks up now. Next thing you know, everyone's mad at everyone, and smoke is coming out of everyone's ears, and the entire forest is engulfed in flames. The fire rages on for who knows how long until all that's left is a bunch of burnt stumps and lost friendships and ashes. What a shame. I'm sure this has happened to many of you. But when we apply God's word to our speech, the excuses that I listed at the beginning just don't seem to hold water. Can our words... Cause division and add fuel to a fight, or, or betray a confidence, even if they're true, absolutely. Are there some things best left unsaid, even if we haven't sworn haven't been sworn to secrecy? Yeah. Is it necessary to share every detail of a situation in order to ask in order to ask for someone's help, in prayer or in counseling? Not really. It's not necessary to share every detail. So as we go back to our original point and really getting back to what we want to land on later tonight, God takes gossip really seriously. And he warns us of the havoc that it will wreak in our lives and and in his church. So logic says we have to avoid that at all costs, right? If we we can all say tonight that we have landed on this biblical perspective of gossip, um, we then know we have to turn away And run from it. So the question then becomes tonight, how do we flee from gossip? Because gossip is sin, and the Word tells us to flee from sin, not to stand around and dabble in it or to to see how close we can get to it without getting hurt. Remember, sin is like a ferocious lion ready to pounce, to devour you. And so what would you do if I let a ferocious lion into this room now? You would run for cover. You would run for your life. So let's see where the Word tells us to run tonight, specifically when it comes to the relational dynamics of our church and specifically when it comes to gossip. And, and even more importantly than gossip, the, um, the opposite of gossip is conflict resolution. And I think that's where um, we land. So in Matthew 18, a very familiar passage, Matthew 18, 15 um, you can turn there if you want. It's a few, few verses long. 18, uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. We're going to kind of see where we run to when we're hit in the face with this idea of gossip, whether it's our own voice partaking in the gossip or if we just happen to be in a room where gossip is happening. Matthew 18, verse 15 and through 17 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This seems so simple and kind of elementary, kind of If this, do this. Then this, do this. But I really do think it is the answer to so many of our problems when it comes to gossip and more specifically conflict resolution. Really simply put, this passage means just go to your brother. Just go to them. If there's a conflict, if there is sin, whether from you or against you, go to that brother. Take it to them. I love this beautiful depiction at the beginning of this passage where it says, go to your brother and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What a beautiful promise in this text that tells us if we'll do this and and our brother will respond, we have gained our brother back. And here's why, and more importantly, how we do that. And this circles all the way back around to our passage from last week in Philippians 2. We're going to look at the first four verses tonight specifically and then land there at the end. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves." Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So simply put, this passage is encouraging us, really really commanding us to um, to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Would you want people doing what you're doing to you? Would you want people talking about you when you weren't around? We're going to kind of circle back around specifically to gossip for a second. Would you want people doing that to you? How would you feel if you found out there was a group of people, maybe even friends, having a conversation about you and you weren't involved in the conversation? You weren't there to back yourself up or to say, no, that's not exactly what happened or oh, here's my perspective. How would that make you feel? Would you say, I, I love the idea of people sitting around and talking about me behind my back and spreading my business around without me knowing it? Said no one ever. Nobody, nobody wants that to happen. You may be that person I've had this conversation with a couple of people. I don't care about people talking about me. They're going to do that, and that doesn't bother me a bit. I'm just going to say baloney. Everybody cares what people think. We're, we're made to, to feel that way. God wired in us to care about other people and what they think about us. Um, and so this is a natural part of who we are, and so that's why he writes this letter to the Philippians and to us, I think, that talks about we should consider others better than ourselves. I mean, it gets kind of simple when it comes to gossip specifically, but really anything like this um, when it comes to conflict resolution and the relational nature of us as believers, as Christians, um, doing life together. Why not rather err on the side of caution when it comes to gossip? Why not, before mentioning someone's name in a conversation who isn't present for that conversation, instead ask, would I want someone doing this to me? Would I want someone having this conversation about me? Or better yet, heed the command in Matthew 18 and go directly to that person. Or, if it's not you talking, encourage that other person to go directly to them, confront them directly. I haven't been a part of any conversation yet where someone tells me how bad another person is and that conversation solved the problem. Has that ever happened to you? Or like this person has a conflict, but this person, but we're sitting here talking just to this person and then just magically the conflict is just resolved. I've never seen that happen. If it's happened, it's been just like a miracle of God working it out because that's not how this typically works itself out. It happens when people come together and, and love and loving each other enough to say hard things and then go in directly to them. I don't know about you, but that's what I would want someone to do to me. Even if it was a really hard thing they had to say, I want someone to come to me. And this is so important um, because, as scary as that sounds, and I'm just going to be really honest with you, like I've been scared to death of doing that before. I've been scared to death of doing that this week of like, man, this person wronged me, or maybe I wronged them, actually. And I need to go talk to them about that. But then I, like, run the scenarios through my head of all the what-ifs. Like, oh, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to think I'm a terrible person, or they think I'm judgmental, or what if we're not friends anymore, or what if this, or what if that, or what if if they just totally turn away from me and don't want to be friends with me anymore? All the what-ifs that run through our head. Um, I've had, I've received some really great advice before about that. It says, stop having the conversation with yourself and go have it with them and just see how it goes. It might go really great. You know, it's happened a couple of times when I've done that, when like I'm sitting in my office or sitting at home or riding down the road, thinking about how bad this conversation is going to go and how like, they're going to want to exile me to some island off somewhere in the Caribbean, which that wouldn't be too bad, actually. Um, I just think it's going to be so terrible. And then I like make just pray, Lord, just give me the grace and the courage to do this. Pick up the phone and call him, or we meet for coffee and we talk about it. And it's like the most amazing conversation. We leave that conversation better off than we were before the conflict ever started. And I think that's what God has before us. That's why He tells us to consider others better than ourselves, put others' interest above our own. And I love that this is in the Bible. And I think it's in the Bible because God knew. God knew that we were going to be selfish, that we were going to want to put our own interest above everybody else's. And so he was going to say really specifically, really explicitly, don't pursue selfish ambitions and vain conceit. Put others' interest above your own. And I think this particular way, when it comes to conflict resolution and gossip that gets in the way of that... um, I think this is, applies here really specifically to us church folks sometimes, um, that our, our mouth, man, our mouth can just get us in trouble. Um, and I love David's prayer in Psalm 141, um, a couple of verses down. He says, set a guard over my mouth. I mean, come on, let's just get real specific here. <laughs> I love David for this. Like He's just straight to the point. He's praying to God, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. I wonder if we started to, to pray that prayer for ourselves, to to live this way with our lives, praying this on a regular basis. God help me set a guard over my mouth and watch my lips so that what I say doesn't lean towards evil. Imagine what God would do in our personal lives, in our relationships with each other, in our church. If we became, a ch- just imagine this for a second. If we, as a people of God at Hillcrest, became known to be people of resolution, conflict resolution, reconciliation, that's who we are as believers. Ultimately, we are children of the father of reconciliation. God is the author and perfecter, the father of reconciliation. He is the ultimate reconciler. And by God's grace, we've been called to be reconcilers ourselves. But I wonder if that's the way the world around us actually sees us. I wonder if that's the picture that we paint to the world around us. I wonder if it's even how we think about ourselves sometimes. A lot of times I walk around thinking I'm right and I'm going to be right no matter what. I've done this with my wife. I've done this with my children. I've done this with my coworkers. I've done this with the person who cut me off in traffic on Nine Mile Road. I'm right and you're wrong and don't you forget it. And I'm going to tell the people I work with when I get there how dumb you are. This is who we are without Christ, but with Christ, with Christ, the reconciler, the one who gave his life for the sake of reconciliation, we can be something totally different than that. We can be agents of reconciliation to a world who is broken, fallen, in desperate need of reconciliation. And Paul gives us kind of a roadmap here in Philippians 2. He starts it off from the very beginning. If there is any any reconciliation, any joining between you because of Christ in you, do these things. Consider others better than yourself. Put others' interest above your own. And he continues on in Philippians 2, 5-13. through 13. And This is a little bit of a long passage, but I want to walk through it because this is really... This is really the heartbeat, the pulse behind what Paul is trying to get them to see. Philippians two five through thirteen. This this speaks to what we where we are, what we're talking about in your relationships with one another, and this is where we this has kind of been the overarching theme of these two weeks together: the relational nature of our church, of the church, Big C, and of our church, Little C, Hillcrest. The relational nature. Paul is saying, he's he's writing this to a church, to a congregation of people just like the just like us. And he says, if all these things are true, if you have fellowship in Christ, do these things. Put put others' interests before yourselves. Consider others' interests above your own. And verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And you're like, hmm, I wonder what that would be. Oh, wait, Paul tells us in the next passage. I love this about Paul. No guesswork have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage, to be grasped. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, so that He would know intimately what it's like. So He would know personally the people who he was sacrificing for, made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Therefore, those things being true, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Church, God is calling us to do this thing so that he can fulfill his good purpose in and through us. I don't want you to do these things. I don't want you to stop gossiping or figure out how to reconcile the people just so we can be nice and other people will say, oh, look, they, they can get along. No, we want to do these things so people around us see Christ in us and say something is different about those people. There's something going on with them that I need some of. And God has chosen us to use us towards that end. To to work out our salvation. And we get to do that with one another. We get to come alongside one another and do this together. To see this reality come true with the children of God, but then also, also outside of this church. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That mindset of Christ is others first, ultimately. I mean, if anybody in the world had the right to say me first, it was Jesus. He's the only one, really. It had the ability and the right to say that he was perfect lived a perfect life he was the son of God is the son of God and so if anybody can say hey me I'm right you're wrong it's true but what he came and said instead was I'm I'm taking the blame all the wrong all the evil that you've done all the all the consequences that you deserve I'm taking them and not just so you don't have to face consequences, so that you can be made right. The right one was made wrong, so the wrong ones could be made right. There's no more beautiful picture of reconciliation. It's this beautiful picture that Jesus paints that says, why not rather be wronged? And we get the opportunity to say that. I think that's what Philippians 2 is saying. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians he he, like Paul, just says it really eloquently, but if you boil it down to just one quick sentence, in those situations where gossip's happening, when you've been wronged, when something's not going right, and you feel like, no, I'm right, and they're wrong, and I need to put them in their place, Paul says, why not rather be wronged? We see this in other places in Scripture where they tell you when, you know, the Roman soldier asks you to walk a mile, you walk, walk two, walk more. Turn, your, turn the other cheek, too, when he slaps you. Why not rather be wrong, which is completely counterintuitive to to our sinful nature. And we see that all the way back to the garden. When when Adam and Eve are tempted with this knowledge that they didn't have, this ability to be like God, they were faced with this decision to, to trust what God had given them, the provision God's given them, or to go, wait, there's a little bit more out there. I could be a little more right, a little more knowledgeable. What we see in this text is now we, we lean into the faithfulness of God and ask ourselves, why not, just, why not rather be wronged? And so I want to challenge you with some things, practically speaking, when we get our minds fully around this idea that we are um, relational people, specifically in the church, we're called to relationship with one another. That's a beautiful thing about the gospel and Christianity, it doesn't call us, just call us out of something, but it calls us into something too. It calls us into this, this corporate gathering of God's people. By God's grace, we don't have to be Lone Ranger Christians. So it calls us into this fellowship to do this together. And so we want to do that well, to to do life well together, not only for our own sake, for, but for the sake of those around us as well. And so we want to lean in to that. The gospel is inclusive in that way. And then we take that outside of the church so that the people around us want to come and be a part of the body we're a part of. We want to be people of reconciliation. Um, And this this is an area that I think that some of us are getting really right. And some of us are getting really wrong. And then the ones in between just don't care. I mean, I think if we, you know, I've had, I had somebody ask me last week, they came up very sweetly. Great job, Dan. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. You know, I, I think you're right, God. We just don't take take gossip seriously. You know, why do you think that is? So it's a great question. Um, you know, personally, Sinfully, I like to talk about other people. You know, if I'm being really, really honest, and I think other people like to talk about other people. Um, but I think the reason it's so prevalent, specifically in the church world, um, is because we've just kind of let ourselves become numb to it. We've started to see it as this thing that um, isn't that big a deal. We, we see it as this thing that, um, that everybody does. And it's okay. And we begin to find it different ways. Um, We don't see it through the biblical lens. But ultimately, it's it's why all sin happens. We lose sight of this biblical vision, this biblical view of who we are, who God is, and how He's made us. And so I want to encourage you kind of in some practical ways to um, apply this in our lives this week, Um, because this is great theology. It's great knowledge of God's Word, but if it stays there, it really has no practical benefit for any of us. And so I want that to be a thing, right? I think there should be not only knowledge gained by the Word, but practical benefit to our own personal lives and to the body. And so some really practical ways that this can be seen in our own lives is to put a stop to gossip when you see it happening in front of you? You're like, yeah, Dan, sounds real easy from up there on the stage. Like, but what about tomorrow when I'm standing around the water cooler with my co-workers who I have to go to work with every day and this thing starts? Then what? Well, I don't know. You tell me. What's the Bible say? You know, what? Do, what do we do in that situation? Because I get it. We don't want to be like, the Bible, have y'all seen that, uh, what is that, like a YouTube or a commercial or something about like the, Bible, uh, the, the, like the Bible linebacker guy? Have y'all seen these things? I don't know. It was like back in the 90s, I think. But there was this um, professional linebacker guy that they had um, enlisted to be like the Bible enforcer in their workplace. It was like this Christian workplace. And anytime anybody said like a bad word or they did something bad or they threw trash on the floor, this linebacker would come through and just tackle them. Like doesn't say anything to him, just crushes him into the wall. Um, it was like the, he was like the Bible enforcer. I'm not. Don't do that. Don't be that guy, right? Um, but in those scenarios, and I would say even specifically here, like like in these buildings on our campus, um, there are times when this happens. You know, when when conversations start happening about other people who aren't in the circle, um, and there's there's a totally appropriate way to say, you know what. We just don't need to do that, you know? And sometimes the time is to say, we're not going to talk about that right now because that person's not here. Or there's a time to just turn and walk away to remove yourself from the situation. But I think a more courageous thing to do would be to go, hey, I love you guys enough and the person we're talking about enough to not do this. Like, I'll I'll, I'll go with you to talk to them if you want to, like, if you're scared of them and think they're going to beat you up or something if you say something. Like, I'll go with you, and, like, i got a gun. It'll be all right. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. That's scary. If you do have a gun in here, don't ever show it to anybody. One day I walked in here, and I was making a joke about people packing heat in here. It was last week. I made a joke about people packing heat at church because it's funny to me. Um, And so, like, after the service, somebody walked in and was like, I'm one of those guys. And like showed me a gun on his hip. I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm grateful you're here with that thing, but, like, don't show it to me. Um, but, I mean, I, I want to I be really practical in life because I think we do this in the church. We're like, yeah, the Bible says this, and sin's bad, and God's good, and we can do this. Go, team. Woo! And we go home, and we go to work, and we don't ever talk about how to do this. Um, and so I, I think we should talk about how to do this. I mean, maybe some of y'all need to get together after this and go, golly, that conversation we had at dinner tonight, that was... That's pretty rough. Shouldn't have done that, you know? Um, We're not going to do that anymore. Like, next week if we start doing that, I'm going to tell us to stop. Um, And let me just encourage you on the flip side of that. If somebody does that in the group you're in, just, like, high-five them. If, like, you're in the group and we're talking about somebody else, and somebody goes, hey, we're going to stop this mm, because God's not really favorable about this stuff. Just be like, yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. I wasn't brave enough to do that, but I'm super pumped you did it. Thank you. And then maybe you're brave enough to do it the next time because that's the beautiful thing about this. Grace is contagious. And it doesn't seem like first on the top of your head as like grace to do this in a group of people like that, but what you're doing is you're issuing grace to them. You're issuing grace to that group of people because grace is Is forgiveness, giving them something they don't deserve. That's what God gives to us. And God, we're giving them the ability to to see through a lens of, of biblical knowledge that, hey, what we're doing right now is not good. If we think about sin the way that sin is, sin is a death sentence, right? And so if gossip is sin and sin is a death sentence, you just saved everybody's life in that circle. Now that's good stuff. Now you're not the bad guy in the circle. Now you, some people might walk away walk away, and think you're the bad guy, but now you're the lifesaver in that circle. Not only for them, but for the person they were talking about and the relationships that are connected to that because that's, that's the danger of this whole thing, right? Remember the whole embers in the fire in the forest that turn into a flame and turn, turn, turn into a bunch of burnt stumps and ashes? This is a life-saving thing going on here. This is not coming from a guy who's figured this out. I'm still working through this. Now I can say, as someone who's worked through this to some degree, the hard conversations get easier the more you do them. The more often you're that guy that says, Yeah, let's, mm, let's not do this. This isn't this isn't good. The hard the easier it becomes. Also, the less conversations you're involved in. <laughs> Because about the third time you do that in a group, you're all of a sudden not in that group conversation anymore. Because they're waiting until Dan goes to the bathroom or something. Um, And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, Because not everybody's going to accept what Scripture says about this. Not everybody's going to accept the fact that they're involved in a thing like that. Um, But I think we have a responsibility, a call on our lives to, to do these things, to really stand up for the sake of the gospel. I mean, the, I think that's part of the reason we don't take this particular thing so seriously. We don't think it has anything to do with the gospel. Like gossip's over here in this thing that we do as a culture, and the gospel's over here in the Bible somewhere. And I, I, that's not what I see in Scripture. I think they're so closely related, and if we don't see them that way, we don't treat them that way. The good news is we, we just don't have to figure this out on our own, right? God has been so good and gracious to us to give us books like this, Philippians 2, that we can reread every single morning. That's an amazing thing about the Bible. Like, Pat, when you read your Bible this morning, it didn't just like poof disappear in front of your face. It's still there. It's amazing. So we, we can open up Philippians 2 tomorrow and read it again because, like, I forget from last night to the tonight what I read. And so by God's grace, we've been we've been called to be these Ministers of Reconciliation. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can do this as a church is with our with our words. One of the greatest ways. Because there's nothing different about gossip in our culture. When you're standing around the water cooler at work gossiping, so is everybody else at work. But when you're not, it says something. And I think ultimately what you'll end up seeing is people respecting it right? Because when you walk away from that group conversation about somebody else, what's the first thing you think? Well, man, if they're talking about Jim like that, they probably talk about me like that too. And if you don't think that, you should. (laughs) When you stand around in a group of people and they're talking about somebody else, when you're not in that group, they're talking about you. And so for no other reason but selfish motivations... We stand up for the sake of the gospel. We stand up for the sake of the, the relational nature of who we are as human beings because we're, we're called together to be in this gathering. We're also called to bring other people to this gathering. And I think one of the greatest ways we do that is we live differently. We show, we show the culture that we live in that there is something different going on in this place in these lives. Or we don't. And so we get to do one of two things. We get to leave here tonight and say, "Mm, I wish I wouldn't have gone to church because I hurt my feelings. And ball this thing up, (laughs) throw it in the trash. And that's fine. You might do that. Or we can dig in to what we're talking about here And really try to make a practical change. And that's what I want to leave you with as a challenge. To make one practical change this week in this area. In the relational dynamic of your life. And I'm not saying it's specifically like you've got a gossip problem and you need to fix it. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't like, this is New Year's, okay? We're not making resolutions. What I am saying is there there are elements of your relational life right now that are be a, being affected by this, whether that's you or just you being involved in it, that can change. And so here's some practical solutions to resolve some of this. And I want to challenge y'all to, to pick one and go do it. Maybe there maybe there is a gossip thing going on in your life that just needs needs some prayer and attention, some accountability. So you need to elbow the wife or husband and be like, "We've got we got to talk about this when we get home." I need some prayer. I need some accountability. Or you go give your buddy a call, accountability buddy. Hey man, I I need I need some help. Or maybe there's a person you've been talking about that you need to go call. Or maybe there's a group of people you've been talking with that you need to go call and say, hey, listen, guys, I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer here, or like the bad guy in the conversation. But we, man, that stuff we were doing yesterday, that conversation we had, it just, I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. I really, I really am sorry that I let that happen in my presence. You know, I'm just really convicted that's not a good thing for me to be a part of or for you to be a part of. You know, I think there's some, some really neat, practical things that, that we can go and do tomorrow to put this into practice that will change lives, that will literally change lives. Not just like stop gossip or stop bad relationships, but could, could literally change someone's eternity if we'll do this. And I think it's worth it. I think it's so worth it, man. We have this. This responsibility is on us. The world that we live in is not held accountable to the scriptures that we are are held accountable to. Um, They don't know. know, It's the old saying, they act lost because they are lost. But we we don't have that excuse. Um, If we are a follower of Christ, we are to follow him in this way, this ultimate act of sacrifice. And humility, and that's ultimately what it boils down to, is a, is a Christ-like humility. Um, and I'm encouraged that um, God has shown us so much grace to to give us His Holy Spirit to help us do this. Because um, I can go ahead and tell you from experience, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. You're not going to be able to like slap yourself around when you get in the car and be like, "All right, Dan, you got this." No, you need to you need to confess to Christ you need to pray for his Holy Spirit to guide you through this you need to pull somebody else along with you to help you do it um, and pray guys you know if you don't do anything else like if you're not if, if you're not like bold enough to step out and like take personal responsibility for something like this in your life at least pray for us pray for our church that this would be just like exterminated from the life of the church pray for that. Pray for God to just snuff this out um, in in a way that only He can because I think the results of that would be um, remarkable in our church. And we'll see this relational dynamic that's supposed to happen here at church and in the community we live in explode because you know what comes in in a culture where there's a lack of this is an abundance of trust. And when people can trust people, then the door to trusting God is blown wide open. And so that's what I want to see happen. I want to see God, people place their trust in God because they were found it easy to place their trust in people. And I think this is a great way to do that, to humbly bow down before God and to consider others better than ourselves.